Good morning, America. You are listening to Percolating Perspective, the podcast that offers you a heart-to-heart conversation on America over a cup of coffee. I'm your host, Gordon Michael Porter. We have a bit of spring for you today, just a relaxing and nature-filled episode to carry you through your week. Today, we talk about one of the uh, most American recreational sports out there, camping. We're going to talk about its history, a brief history of some of the gear that you would use in the parks, and we're going to finish this off with a discussion of the importance and really and truthfully the necessity of camping to the modern American. All of that will start in just a few seconds. If you listen to this show on Apple, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Pandora, YouTube, really anywhere, please Please, please leave a five-star review and subscribe or hit the notification bell. That, coupled with your loyalty to listen every week, will continue to drive us up in the podcast rankings. I believe that in order to run any sort of successful program internally, you have to have some clear goals and a clear plan. My first big step in the plan was cons- was to be consistently in the top 50% of all podcasts and all genres. I am overjoyed to announce that the show has achieved that goal. We are now, as of uh, really as of the middle of February, uh, the last show, in the top 50% of all podcasts in all genres. To give you some percolating perspective on how, on how awesome that is, our first episode dropped the first Monday in September. You guys have pushed this podcast to the top 50% of all podcasts in all genres in just five months. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support. Our next big goal is to hit the top 25% of all podcasts in all genres. And just between you and me, that is a much more lofty goal than the top 50%. There are a lot of podcasts out there. However, I know that we can do it. And I believe if we continue on the same trend we're doing right now, I think we can do that before September of this year. But I'll need your help in doing that. The best way you can help to do that is, again, please leave a five-star review on your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, whatever platform you listen to, and subscribe or follow the show. Again, this will put the show in front of more people who ordinarily would not see it. And it drives us up in the rankings and gets more uh, people into this podcast, which I hope you find to be the best podcast of your week. Now, back to the show. Laying in a canvas tent somewhere in Southern California, a single thin ray of sunshine slices through the opening at the front of the tent and lands on your face, warming you awake to the smell of fresh pine, coffee, and crispy bacon. It's another beautiful California day in 1948, and this trip down Route 66 has been the highlight of the family's year. In fact, your yellow cream and wood-sided Chrysler Town & Country wagon, back when the Town & Country was a hunk of American steel and not a piece of junk minivan, was carefully picked out as the perfect vehicle to bring the kids out west. You wrestle your jeans on, pull over your smoke-saturated white t-shirt, and park yourself on the picnic table outside your tent. 
sitting on top of the pressurized gas Coleman camp stove is your key to a successful day. An all-aluminum percolator full of your favorite coffee. Thankfully, you've packed your trusty ceramic mug in the storage compartment in the Chrysler. You pull it out, give the inside a good puff to get rid of any dust, and fill it to the top with slightly burned camp coffee. Today on Percolating Perspective, I am sipping on a cup of coffee that isn't necessarily specific for camping, but is specifically a delicious cup of coffee. I have filled my cup this morning with a cup from Black Rifle Coffee Company called Vintage Roast. And I don't think I've actually ever sipped on Black Rifle on the show. I don't think. Actually, I might have on the interview episode, American Pants Are Heading South. I think I might have actually sipped one of their roasts on that, and I don't remember which one it was. Um, But today I'm sipping on the Vintage Roast. The Vintage Roast was the first one that I ever tried from Black Rifle, and it stole my heart years ago. It comes in a somewhat of an MRE-looking bag, army drab green, and it's got a white circle with a red cross on the front, so it really kind of looks like an army medic supply bag. And the coffee uh, has a buttery smooth taste to it. It's light. It's easy to sip with a no bite back. A lot of coffees that claim to be vintage flavored tend to be just a dark roast bitter coffee that they've ground a little finer and burned a little bit to make it even stronger. This one is not that way though. It's a medium roast. It's not bitter at all, Uh, but it's also not weak. It's just distinctly good. It is, it's one of my favorites is the vintage roast uh, from Black Rifle. I, to be honest with you, I don't know that I've had a bad cup of coffee from Black Rifle. Um, if you haven't tried their, their seasonal stuff, like, um, their fall flavors or their Christmas flavors, they've got one called Christmas cookie and oh baby. Oh, it's good. But Today, we're sipping on Vintage Roast. Also, a great company to give your money to. They do a lot of veterans support work, whether that's with Wounded Warriors or really dozens of veteran foundations. Um, This company, Black Rifle, is founded and owned by veterans and has designed their atmosphere around the greatest fighting force the world has ever seen, the American military. Um, They have made some significant changes over the past year or so, but... I do still, I dearly love their coffee and I love the company. I love everything about it. Just the, the atmosphere, uh, the, the environment. If you've ever been, if you've, or rather, if you have never been in a black rifle coffee company retail front, do yourself a favor. It ain't no sissy Starbucks, you know, sit down and read, you know, the New York times and pack your head full of crap. Black Rifle is uh, the one that I have my local Black Rifle retail front, um, you know, 20 minutes down the road here. You know, they've got, you know, the <clears throat> the back end of a Jeep uh, parked in there. They've got a fireplace. They've got hardwood floors. It's just a really cool place. Um, but again, I do uh, I do love their coffee, the amazing work they do. Uh, and, and really, the veterans, they truly deserve, in my opinion, the best our society has to offer. They are, they should be waited on hand and foot, especially, you know, um, the, the, the ones that have seen active duty. Um, my hat is off 
to all veterans, but those that have seen active duty, particularly the ones that, you know, for example, the Vietnam veterans who came home to a bunch of liberal idiots uh, that were spitting on them and, and, you know, causing the rest of the normal Americans to kind of turn a blind eye to them just for fear of being called a dirty name, you know, the Vietnam veterans, they were fighting two wars, and that was a foreign war and a domestic war. And they deserve nothing but absolute admiration and respect. But now, let me take one more quick sip here. Back to 1948. That smell of fresh pine that hit you square in the nose earlier was the distinct smell of the giant sequoia tree in Sequoia National Park in Southern California. It's been a busy year at the office back home in Tulsa, and you've been needing to decompress and get away with the family to observe God's creation for a while. Once breakfast is over, it's time to pack up the car. It takes about an hour or so to break down camp, get everything neatly stowed away in the back of the car, but finally you're done. You fire up the inline eight-cylinder cast iron beast under the hood and motor out of the campsite onto the gravel road that snakes in and out of the Southern California wilderness. It's out here uh, in, ironically, probably the most beautiful state in the entire Union that you can take a long, deep breath and let your shoulder muscles relax a little bit. It's been tough to do, though. For the past several months, if not years, the weight of the world has just gotten heavier and heavier. Um, Work has been busy, but the world just seems to be devolving into chaos around you. With World War II going on, you know, ending shortly before uh, 1948, uh, you know, a lot of young boys coming back home, their lives have changed forever in just a few short years. The world in general just seems to be devolving into chaos. The flowers are blooming. Occasionally you see a snake scoot across the road into the bushes, and that helps take your mind back to reality, slowly but surely. After a while of driving and looking for just the perfect spot, you pull over on the side of the road for lunch. It is incredibly exciting to know that there are stacks of ham sandwiches in the basket in the back, and it's finally time to eat. How did this amazing escape, camping, that is, how did that come about? Is this an American concept or an idea, a activity? Well, sort of. And really for hundreds of years, what we call camping was just life. Life in a makeshift home, uh, or living in a makeshift home rather, cooking over an open fire, trudging through miles of wilderness with no end in sight, That was just normal life in America, specifically west of the colonies, for over a hundred years. You know, the pioneers, that that was life. There was nothing other than that. So how did we get from that to now, where we do it for fun and get, you know, try to do it to get our minds off the daily grind? Well... I, there, there's many places the mind could go, but I did find uh, a very interesting article, a uh, brief history on a website called reserveamerica.com. The article w- was written by a man named Jeff Adams, uh, and he put together a timeline that uh, I think it's fascinating. And it, it goes something like this. I'll, I'll pull it up here and, and kind of just give, you know, get some of the high points to you. Uh, but 1861, Gunnery Camp. Uh, is founded in Washington, Connecticut by a man named Frederick Gunn. 
who owned a boys' school, and he took his wards on a two-week trip, and they hiked to specific wilderness areas uh, where they had set up camp. Uh, of course, activities, camping activities include hiking, fishing, observing nature, and of course, cooking over a smoky fire. That was 1861. That was, uh, you know, around the Civil War era. Fast forward to 1874, the YWCA, which honestly I had never even heard of before this timeline, the Young Women for Christ Association. Uh, you might uh, recall the YMCA, this is the women's version, establishes its first camp in Pennsylvania. It is called Rest, the camp catered to women only. And then, 11 years later, 1885... The YMCA, the men, realized that camping could be fun, and they set up a camp up in New York, and that camp is still in operation today. Over the ensuing years, though, the concept of camping grew steadily, and by 1900, the first boys' club, that's capital B, capital C, the boys' club, uh, which I'm sure you have one in your local town, the first boys' club camp was built in Salem, Massachusetts. Ten years later, the Boy Scouts of America established a camp in New York. Uh, 1912, two years after that, the first Girl Scout, uh, Girl Scout camp is built in Georgia. Then, in the 1930s, the National Park Service developed 34 recreation demonstration areas, a complex government name for campgrounds, which are later turned over to the state agencies. And today, there are over 113,000 federally managed campsites with more than 166,000 campsites, uh, I'm sorry, 113,000 federally managed uh, campsites, more than 166,000 campsites in state parks, and an untold number of private facilities also. So that's a very, very brief history of camping as it is, uh, you know, in a formal setting. But what about the history of camping gear? Well, years and years and years before becoming our favorite pastime, camping was literally a way of life, as we just mentioned a few minutes ago. And perhaps the most important piece of that uh, culture was the tent. Um, in 1855, the real ancestor to today's family shelter uh, is designed by a U.S. Army officer. He modeled his what he called the bell tent after American Indian teepees. Uh, and he used canvas, though, instead of buffalo hides. Then, in 1911, the first Boy Scout handbook is published and shows over 10 different types of tents. Then, in 1945, World War II is finally over, and the post-war economic boom sends Americans to camping retailers and war surplus stores where they purchase thousands of tents of all types before heading off to the great outdoors. Then in 1959, longtime tent maker Eureka introduces the first fast to set up freestanding tent. Then in the 1960s, just a few years later, lightweight metal poles began to replace wooden frames. Nowadays we have fiberglass, I believe, um, but a lot of them are still, you know, aluminum with bungee uh, cords inside. The 1970s, Eureka again seals the show with a backpack storable uh, tent that sells 1 million units in just 10 years. That's incredible. Then fast forward to 1990, the first what we call the truck tent appears, which you'll see these all over the place now on Pinterest and on Facebook. 
Camping World advertisements where the tent is set up in the back of, the, of a pickup truck. And then in 2011, despite technological innovations that offer a more glamorous experience, 3.2 million Americans still do tent camping, a million more than RV camping. Now, what I think is probably the most critical piece of gear, and we'll kind of skip on past uh, after this, the camp stove. While, you know, a crackling campfire is closely associated with camping, it was only, you know, it's smoky, it's sooty, it's ashy, and it can be a real pain in the butt to cook over an open fire. It's nice, I love doing it, but it can be a pain. But in 1942, at the midpoint of World War II, the Coleman Company responded to the U.S. Army's urgent request to develop a compact stove for battlefield use. The resulting single-burner stove can burn any kind of fuel, function at negative 60 degrees Fahrenheit and up to 150 degrees Fahrenheit, weighs only 3.5 pounds, and is smaller than a one-quart milk, milk bottle. Along with the Jeep, it is considered one of the two most important pieces of non-combat equipment to help the Americans win World War II. Thank you, Coleman. 1950 and beyond, though, the Coleman Army stove evolves into the familiar fold-up two- and three-burner stove seen in many campsites today. Other manufacturers have since adopted the pressurized fuel concept, and there are now several variations from the basic design. But the Coleman, you just cannot beat the green Coleman stove. I love it. My dad had one when we would go camping as a kid, and I loved that stove. Still do. It's a really cool piece of equipment. Now, though, kind of getting away from the history, here we are 75 years past 1948, give or take. We're all still camping with more and more families jumping into it every year. While this is a great recreation and a lot of fun, there is something I think is much more important that we need to discuss as it relates to the modern man in particular. There are thousands of podcasts and blogs and websites and articles for children and women, um, and really a lot of those focus on women on how to cope with daily life. But unfortunately, the amount of work done to help men cope with the weight of their daily lives is pretty limited. But lucky for you, you have percolating perspective to help fill that gap. As any man, um, or as a man rather, in my late 20s, I have a professional career over a decade old. I've been married for almost six years. I have a two-year-old son a daughter on the way, I can empathize with men as it relates to stress. Then, to top it all off, we are going to war with Russia and China. How are we as a family going to deal with inflation? Eggs are like, you know, (laughs) I could buy Russia and China for a couple of eggs. Is our country just going to continue this downward spiral into chaos? I mean, what are my kids going to do when they grow up? What kind of world would they have? Trust me, guys, it gets heavy. Work has been brutal lately. Your workload has been piling up with no end in sight. You're making money and you're providing, but at the end of the day, the stress can be overwhelming. And it's really difficult to turn that off. I completely get it. Um, in solving this riddle, though, uh, I had a chance to sit outside my house early this morning 
and sip on my vintage roast coffee, which reminds me. Hang on, let me get one more. Mmm. That's not good. That was my last sip. Oh, boy. Uh, but I got the chance to sit outside this morning, and at first my mind was going a thousand miles per hour and can't turn off the hustle and bustle. And I deal with that a lot. My The way my brain works, um, it's not overthinking, I don't think necessarily. I just, my my mind is always trying to find the next step. But after a few minutes of that, I realized that I was wasting my time. And I started being intentional about listening to basically what most people would think of nothing. But I started listening to nature. I specifically listened for the crickets and the bugs. I specifically listened for the wind blowing the leaves and the pine needles in the trees. I specifically listened for a woodpecker, which I did hear, by the way. I watched a couple of squirrels actually fighting over an acorn. Both of them lost, and they gave up, set the acorn down, and they went and both got their own acorn. A waste of energy, but they're squirrels. What do you expect? After having the chance, though, to pay attention to nothing for a minute, I had one of the most impactful realizations of my life that was... It's so incredibly simple, yet it taught me a really powerful lesson. And a lesson that I believe that only getting into nature, and if that means camping, I think that only getting into nature can answer this question or teach you this powerful lesson. That lesson was the birds don't know. Uh, Gordon, are you losing it? What on earth are you talking about? No. Just bear with me for a second here. I noticed that the birds were going on about their daily lives and doing the job that God gave them, the squirrels too, and they had absolutely no idea that Russia was attacking Ukraine or that a train had to de- had derailed in Ohio or that China was uh, flying spy balloons over the country. It was such an overwhelming comfort to me to realize that all the headache and the chaos was not the whole world burning to the ground. It's almost like being red-billed. I, I realized that all of the chaos was relegated to human reality. And what I mean by that is the world is still turning. The sky is still blue. The wind is still blowing. The birds are still singing. The mosquitoes are still biting. The stupid carpenter bees are still boring holes in my porch. But the the birds, the squirrels, the bugs, they all go on about their business all day, every day, and know that they don't have to worry about what tomorrow brings. They don't worry about what their children will be doing 10 years from now. They don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. But why don't they worry? Well, of course, they're animals, and they have the brain power of a paperclip, but Really, the reason is the same reason that we shouldn't. And that reason is in Matthew, the book of Matthew. Christ told us that even though sparrows are not of any real monetary worth, one of them cannot fall to the ground without God knowing. And his point to say was that if God takes care of the birds and knows when anything bothers them, how much more does he care for us and know our struggles? 
Now, the intention of this podcast, as I've said before, is not to preach. I don't mean to be preachy or anything like that. However, American culture is based on the Bible. That is, you know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt said that if you were to remove the Bible from America and her institutions, you would not recognize her. And that is absolutely true. But the intention of this podcast is to examine and study and fall in love with America and her culture. Camping and spending time alone in nature is so integral to American culture because it grounds us and reconnects us with our Creator. It gives us a chance to watch the birds carry on with their day all while America's enemies seem to be at war. American culture has been so unique because in a fast-paced world, America has always been, up until really recently, basically a huge farm. Everyone, in some shape, form, or fashion, farmed. They worked with plants, they worked with animals, and doing this helps to ground yourself and to bring you back to earth. In fact, Thomas Jefferson wrote um, in several different instances where he, he felt like, he had to go back to Monticello while he was president. He had to go back to Monticello and spend time on the farm to reconnect with God. It grounded him. And camping can do the same for you. And I think it's it's an absolute necessity in the modern world. It helps you to realize that the political skirmishes and the chaos that is ginned up by the eggheads in Washington and the emotional wind-sucking psychopaths in the media... None of it matters a whole heck of a lot in the grand scheme of things. And what I mean to say is camping and getting alone in nature really will help you realign your priorities and realize that the world and the geopolitical nightmares will come and go and fade with history. All of those things are important, but all of those things God will handle and solve. But he gave you a job, though, just like he gave the bird a job. And that job is to be fruitful and multiply. That job is to take care of your family. That job is to love your family. That job is to spend time with Him in prayer and reading your Bible. That job is to honor and love your country because she honors and loves God. And I don't know about you, but I love my country. I'm proud of my country. I know that my country has made mistakes, bad ones. But my country, I love America. Because, not only just because she's my country, but because she is so special. She is so unique and so worthy of admiration. And, you know... After, what are we on? I think we're on the 18th episode here. We're barely scratching the surface of just how amazing America is. And, you know, that job that God has given you, in addition to all these things that I've mentioned a second ago, that can help you polish America and make it better, another one of your jobs is going to church and worshiping him, regardless of all the supposed hypocrites that are there, go and do your job because he told you to do it. Your job is to be a good man 
honor and cherish your wife and always be faithful to her and God, your family and your country. To boil all this down, Gordon, what on earth does this have to do with American culture? Well, two things. One, camping is, you know, it's such an, a unique strain of American culture because, you know, I think because we have so much hustle and bustle, we have had to create something to get into the wilderness. And if you don't do that, you, I encourage you, you've got to do it. You've got to ground yourself. You've got to reconnect with nature and put yourself in nature. And I encourage you, do your research before you go. I, You should find a campsite or a campground or whatever where there's no Wi-Fi and there's no cell service and turn it off. You have got to, you have got to reconnect with nature. You've got to reconnect with God who created nature. So that's one side of why uh, camping is so important to American culture. The other side of that is, is America won't survive if you don't reconnect with God. American culture will fall apart at the seams if you don't reconnect with God. I think a third part is, too, is the family. The family is a critical part of American culture, and a strong family unit, a strong nuclear family, that is really one of the cornerstones, if not the cornerstone of American culture, is the family. And camping is a great way to bind your family together. Uh, my parents took me and my brother camping as kids, and we did it. I really don't remember a time where we weren't going camping. I mean, maybe I might have been four. And the last time I remember going with my family, I was 18. We did it my entire childhood, regularly. Multiple times a year we went. And it's a great time to spend time with your family and to con reconnect and, and get outside of the hustle and bustle. Um, but as we've said many times here already, it gives you a chance to witness that nature is still going on and, it, and birds are still doing the same things that they've been doing for 6,000 years. Bugs are still doing the same thing. Squirrels are still doing the same things. The world's going to keep turning regardless of what happened to the Russia, regardless of what your client did at work, regardless of what happens, you know, at church, the world's going to keep turning. The wind's going to keep blowing, and God's going to still be there for you. And, you know, the, the flip side of all this is the impact that camping has had on American culture. And this is a little bit less deep, I guess, but, you know, I love... Uh, the aesthetics of the camping culture, and, and my wife is a she is a a great interior designer. She has a real talent for it. And one of my favorite things that she does is she takes camping supplies, you know, like old Coleman heaters and stoves, and she'll take old you know Boy Scout pennants and Boy Scout handbooks and camping baskets and stuff like that and she decorates our house with that stuff and it, you know it, there's just something you know masculine and rugged about camping equipment and it i think it, it goes back to it ties you in to nature it ties you into god you know everything about camping is is you know 
it's America. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, that the whole culture of camping is is synonymous with America. Rugged individuality, nature, masculinity, family, God. You mix all those things up and you get camping in America. Um, camping and living and working with God's creation can teach you many lessons, but don't let yourself forget to get back to reality. And the reality, the hustle, the grind, that isn't reality. Reality is that, in truth, you don't have to worry about anything at all, just like the sparrow. America, I love you. Load up your family. Go camping. Pull out the calendar. Pull out your planner. Pull out your outlook. Put it on the calendar and force yourself to do it, just like you have a date with nature like you have a date with god put it on the calendar and if you're single go by yourself i used to do that when i was in college i'd go camping by myself it's amazing in fact i might even do that as a man and men need to do that men need to have time to be alone and think mowing the grass is a great way to do that but you know that's my preferred way of doing it i also love camping but i haven't had the chance to do that on my own America, I love you. Go camping. Load up your family. Bind yourselves together. Until next week, God bless America. <laughs>